Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Irene Blog Talk Radio Show with your host and creator, Minister Annie Bell, the founder and executive director of Wealth Management Ministries Incorporated. We are providing talk therapy to survivors of child abuse, sex trafficking, and other traumas. Please enjoy the show. Welcome to Irene Blog Talk Radio Show. I am just always so very excited to be before you um, simply because I know we talk about some really harsh and heinous things that people do to one another, but um, to be able to shed light and to maybe even help somebody, break some bondages, do some warfare, slap some witches, stomp on some devils, I mean, it makes me really, really excited. So, Thank you for joining us tonight, my friends. I appreciate you taking time out tonight to uh, be with me. I am Minister Annie Bell, the host and creator of Irene Blog Talk Radio Show, which is an outreach of Wealth Management Ministries Incorporated. We endeavor to bring talk therapy to survivors of child abuse, sex trafficking, and other traumas like domestic violence as well as providing awareness, prevention, and resources to the community. Well, tonight, um, we will host the final episode of the series entitled Love Shouldn't Hurt, as we honor Domestic Violence Awareness Month that ended yesterday. I know it ended yesterday, but I had to add one more episode to this series after I heard my next guest's compelling story. Just to kind of, you know, help set the stage Uh, The World Health Organization, the Economic Dimensions of Interpersonal Violence, well, they wrote an article in 2011, so this is, what, five years ago, and so they estimated the cost of domestic violence in the United States, just here in the United States, and five years ago, it's as high as $12.6 billion. Okay, with a B, not with an M. $12.6 billion in direct costs. Um, Now, just to kind of help, you know, to kind of put this in perspective, $80 billion of direct costs um, is used for uh, after child abuse. Okay, Um, child abuse costs us. $80 $80 billion a year domestic violence is $12.6. Now, direct costs, um, basically consumption-related. So we're talking about health care services, social and welfare services, counseling, police, criminal justice, 
legal services, transportation, housing, um, and other refuge services used by victims of domestic violence, um, even special education to, um, used to treat children of abused women, okay? Um, that is all under the direct cost. Um, under the healthcare services, we're talking about emergency room visits, clinical visits, uh, hospital stays, mental health services, because believe me, uh, abuse affects, affects the mental and the emotional state. Uh, the medication and even physical therapy, because obviously there is physical abuse a lot of times. So um, when you really look at the cost, when you really think about it, if if the, the, the part about a woman's you know, ribs being broken or their pelvic bones being broken or their nose busted and their eyes blackened. If that part, you know, doesn't bother you, maybe the, the financial part of it bothers you because we all uh, play a part in paying this $12.6 billion, this $80 billion. Um, I'm hoping that how it affects the human is enough to make people want to prevent it. If, that does, if that's not enough, well, then let's look at the financial part. That's a huge part as well. But tonight, for tonight, um, my guest, her name is Miss Lady Tweet. And uh, she is, she's an author and she's an advocate. But before she became an advocate, she was first a victim um, of some heinous things that happened to her. Um, so I want to, first of all, introduce you to her and welcome her to the studio. Welcome aboard, Miss Lady Tweet. So much. Thank, thank you, you so thank much. You so for, much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for being on um with me and and being so flexible to come on at the last minute. When I heard your testimony last week, I just simply had to say, okay, I got to squeeze her in some way. So it all worked out and we were able to even give you 90 minutes because I'm going to tell you, when you were telling your story, I think you took 60 minutes and it just didn't seem like enough time because you were still kind of rushing through. So we have the luxury of time this evening. Um, yes, ma'am. And our, our goal is to, to make sure that your voice get heard. Um, people who, get, who hear it, they will be freed from the bondage of um, past hurts or even current hurts. So um, so let's get, go ahead and get started. Anybody who's listened to my show one or two times know I always like to start from the genesis. I want to get to know our guests a little bit and let everybody bond with you. Um, so if you don't mind sharing a little bit about yourself, and I'm kind of curious also as to your name, Miss Lady Tweet, if you don't mind, if it's not too personal, to tell us uh, where you got that name from. Okay, well, it's so simple. Uh, growing up, uh, my, co- my I have a first cousin, and we're very we grew up very close. We were raised like sisters, and she couldn't say Teresa, so which is my first oh. name. So she called me Tweeta, and my family kind of shortened it, and they adopted the name Tweet. Um, as an adult, I've always been, you know, I'm called Tweet by people that are really close to me. But it's kind of immature, so I put Miss Lady on there to, <laughs> to kind of okay. grow it up with me a little bit, and it became it kind of stuck. Oh, well, that's so cute. That's so cute. I appreciate that. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Well, I am, I'm, I'm originally from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born in Philadelphia. I'm originally from New Jersey. I was an only child for about eight years until my sister was born. I only have a, I have a blood sister. She's my only sister. Um, and about myself, um, I've gone through so many different traumas. I've gone through so many things that currently I like to speak out about those things. I wrote a book to kind of talk about my ventures, which I'm sure we'll get into um, during the show, talk about my pain, talk about depression, things that I face. Um, so currently I am using my pain as my weapon towards getting other people out, using the things that I've gone through as a tool um, to get other people out of their situations and their, the, the things that they're facing that they don't Amen. necessarily know how to get out of. Amen. You know, um, I believe that whatever misery, God can turn it into our ministry. And um, I don't know if you've ever read The Art of War, but one of the things that, that it, taught, it ta- teaches is how to go into the enemy's camp. And I'm always saying, I'm going to go into the enemy's camp and snatch souls right from the hand of the enemy. Sounds like that's what you're trying to do as well. And I can certainly applaud you for that. That's right. I'm a warrior, honey, in in my heart. I'm always ready to fight. Um, So (laughs) fight for and stand for what is right, you know, and what is um, what God is saying. So I, I hear you about the tools. Now let's go ahead and get into the thick of thick of things. Um, As a child, you were abused. Could you share a little bit about about that? Yes. As a child, um, my parents trusted my grandparents to keep me while they worked. Uh, my parents were young. My mother was 16 when she married my dad, 19 when I was born. So they had to, they had to work um, to support us, to support our family. And I had an uncle who didn't know how to keep his hands off of me. Um, mm-hmm. I would go over my grandmother's house and he would touch me in different ways. And he, you know, he would, he eventually, it started out with him just touching and fondling me in the wrong way. Um, And then he started raping me. Wow. What age were you when he started raping you? I was five years old. Um, The first time happened when I was five. Um, And strangely enough, my parents were, it was, some, t- some holiday, I don't remember the holiday because I was very young, but I know that my family was at um, my grandmother's house, and there was a lot of people downstairs, and my mother had put me in the bathtub, and when she put me in the tub, uh, he came into the bathroom, and that was the first time he ever raped me. So where was your mom? You said your mom put you in the bathtub? Yes, she put me in the bathtub, and they went downstairs. Um, my family was all downstairs, and he was he was in his bedroom, which was right next to the bathroom, while I was playing in the tub, and that was the oh. first time he had ever, yes, and they were all downstairs, and to me, that is the most, that stands out more than any of the other rapes, um, because my mother was right there in the house, and she she didn't, she didn't know what happened, but the point that, that my parents were there it's mm-hmm. traumatic. It's more traumatic to me. Right. Because it's almost like, okay, this guy is almost invincible because he did it right under my parents' nose. So who can right. you, 
run to? Who can you, you know, trust to help? So um, how long did this abuse go on? Until I was 11. Wow. He was eventually institutionalized. I'm sorry? I was saying he was eventually institutionalized. Um, He has many mental disabilities. Um, He's schizophrenic. He had an episode, um, and he had gone away for a while. I don't know where he went. I was only 11, but they had put him away for his episode. Wow. Well, thank God about that. Did you tell anybody in those six years of him um, raping you? Were you able to tell anyone? When I was five, uh, my mother, that the incident with me being in the tub, my mother came upstairs once it was, you know, I'd been a, I'd been in the top tub for a while and he had left the bathroom and she knew something was wrong with me and she looked at me and she said, what's wrong? Um, and I didn't want to tell her I was afraid. And then I, the only thing I said to her was he came into the bathroom and she said, who? I said, my uncle, I said his name. I said, he came into the bathroom and she said, what happened? And I, I remember I had the crazy thing about abuse is that you for sometimes your brain, your your defense mechanisms cause you to forget. So I had sure. forgotten this until I was about 14 years old, until someone triggered the memory. Mm-hmm. But now I can go back and remember uh, what happened. And she asked me, well, did he come in here? And I remember her calling for my father. She got hysterical and he ran up the steps and the family started coming up the steps. And I remember there being a lot of tussling and my aunt came and got me out of the tub and I don't know what happened after that because when she got me out of the tub she took me downstairs and the adults kind of fought it out upstairs but it was mm-hmm. never handled with me you know it was never brought up again with me it was never questioned with me no one ever got me any help for it it was kind of you know what happens in my family stays in, in the house and we're just oh, going to move on I hate that yes, yes I hate that you know um, I understand integ- family integrity, and I understand some of the whole don't wash your dirty laundry out in public. I understand that piece, but stuff mm-hmm. like this needs to come out. Now, after they found out what happened, how how did he continue to have access to you? Well, he I, I believe they, he said he wouldn't touch me again. He wouldn't do anything. Um, I remember hearing him yell, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything, and it was just mm. back and forth, back and forth. And he, I, I know that, I know that he had to have said something to convince them that yeah. nothing happened, um, or convince them of something. And so after the fact, you know, holidays, things would come around. My parents would trust me to go visit, and it was still going on. And so, you know. How many times a week or a month or a year were you around your uncle? Was it still kind well, of my, almost the same thing? My family did, um, my grandmother did Sunday dinner every week. And then there was always Thanksgiving and there was always Christmas and there was always um, get togethers for birthdays. We were very close as a family. So mm-hmm. at least two or three times a month, up to four times a month because of Sunday dinners. Um, we would be over there. Mm-hmm. And so and sometimes um, a little more. So would it be almost a weekly occurrence that he would rape you? Not, not all. No, not every week. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. because of the, um, the massive amounts of people in the house, mm-hmm. um, it wouldn't happen. But my grandmother was also my net. She, she watched me. Um, she had a daycare in her home. So sometimes it would happen 
if um, she had to go to the store or she did errands and I stayed. Um, most of the time I would beg her to go with her because of what would happen, mm-hmm. so I would go with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't a weekly occurrence. And so what was his tactic to keep you quiet? What did he, you know, do? Did he threaten you? Did he bribe you? Did he, you It know, would kill Nana. He, he told me. Oh my, my grandmother goodness. was older, so he would say it would kill Nana. It'll kill Nana. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you be a good girl, she's she's going to stay with you. You know, she's going to be here. Nothing will happen to her. Um, be a good girl. You know, just be a good girl. Yes. And um, And you spoke about the memory oppression. And, yes, during traumatic experiences, in order for the mind to be able to cope with what is going on and survive, sometimes it will black out the memory um, and even um, suppress it for years. Some, and uh, like you said, mm-hmm. a trigger would happen to, to um, bring that memory up. Um, now, afterwards, uh, I know you had mentioned that you this rape was not the first thing before um, before the domestic violence and all that, was there, did anything, did you go through any other trauma before you got married? Yes. Um, I was in an 11 year abusive marriage. Um, and that started right out of high, right out of high school. Um, I met this guy. He was from my same church organization. Um, we hit it off very well. I, I thought I was in love with him. Um, he was in the army, so he went over. Like our first year together, he went overseas. Um, I thought I was in heaven because he was sending money and he was sending things. He was my first ever boyfriend, so I didn't know any better. You know, I just I was in love. And he came back. Oh, you know, he came back for my prom. Um, he did everything that I thought Prince Charming was supposed to do until the first time he ever hit me and got violent with me. Um, The first time he ever got violent, we were arguing over something so small, I can't even remember what it was, and he had a glass cup in his hand, and he crushed it, and that scared the living daylights out of me, and that was one Mm -hmm. of the first signs that he was violent. Um, I remember one day he came in um, from a long day at work. He had weekend drills because he was in the military, Mm-hmm. And he'd come in, and um, the dinner wasn't his dinner wasn't hot enough, and he slapped me across my face, and I hit the floor. Um, and I thought it was my fault, you know, maybe I should have warmed the dinner up. And that's how it started. It started with him popping me every now and again, until the popping, I became immune to that, and I would just get up and keep going. And then it became beatings, and then it became, you know, a lot worse than what it had started as. Mm-hmm. So how old were you? How old were you then? The the first time he slapped you. I was eighteen. Eighteen. Okay. And um, and so, and you took that internally that it was your fault because his food wasn't yes. at the temperature that he wanted. And so, um, when did it begin to escalate? How long did it take before it escalated more to the more to, more than a slap here and there? Oh, it wasn't long. Um, I it was about 2006, 2007 when I um, 
well, 2000, in 2006, I lost my grandmother, my Nana that I was telling you about, and mm-hmm. I wanted to go to the funeral. During that time, uh, we had gotten married, and he was isolating me from my family, and I thought it was love. I asked him to go to the funeral, and I got beat over that because I kept asking him, please let me go say bye to my Nana. Please let me say bye. And so he just he just went off on me, and it continued. It wasn't It didn't take him very long to escalate from you know, just slapping to the full-on beating. And it, it would be about anything. It would be, um, it could be his clothes weren't ironed, pressed enough. It could be something like his food. It could be the fact that I left the light on too long. Um, it could could have been over sex, you know, um, anything. Any, any, any little thing that he could find, you know, he would use that and then apologize later. You know, he would he would say, I'm sorry, you made me hit you. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'll never do it again. But of course, those I never do it again uh, kept, it, it just, it became, they didn't have any meaning behind them. They, it kept happening over and over again. Right. And that's, you know, and I tell my daughter and I tell you, uh, as a survivor of uh, child sexual abuse, I've taught my children, began teaching them very young. And uh, I think it, I think she was nine years old or something. There was a song that came on, and I normally don't listen to a lot of secular um, music, but there was one song on, and, you know, it was talking about, I don't know, just somebody being unfaithful in a marriage or whatever. And, you know, I started talking to her about relationships and how she, you know, she should feel good about herself and who she is and speaking into her self-esteem. And it kind of went into talking about, you know, um, whenever you think that you might be in love with somebody, make sure that they never hit you, you know, just having that type of conversation. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and, you know, and I even repeated it to her the other day. I was like, if a, a man who's supposed to love you ever hits you, he'll do it again. Um, mm-hmm. 99% of the time, there's that one small percentage of men or, and women. I, I, I don't want to isolate, um, leave anybody out, but because we know that there are mm-hmm. men who are also abused, but, um, the majority are women that, you know, if you do it once, they'll do it again. And so, um, that's a cue. The other cue that you mentioned is the isolation. They want to, um, keep you isolated so that they can have their way, manipulate your mind because it's a, that abuse, uh, that spirit of abuse, I tell you, is really, really tricky. You know, they know how to manipulate, Mm -hmm. they know how to put strike fear in the person. And so um, those are the two things that I really wanted to kind of uh, bring out of, of your story to, as for anyone who's listening, that those are your, those are, that's a sign. If they don't want you to be around your friends anymore, the jealousy is another thing if they exhibit it's it's okay when you know your husband shows a, or a boyfriend shows a little bit of jealousy okay it's so but mm-hmm. let me tell you when it goes too far when it goes too far is you know when it, it's gone too far when he gets jealous because um someone else is looking at you and, and yes. then it's your fault, yes. okay? It's not your fault that you're cute, you're fine, you're beautiful. It's not your fault. Um, but, you know, and you have nothing to do with this man looking at you, but then, it, you know, he, he, he takes it out on you. Um, it's certain types of jealousy when it's over, overly possessive. Um, 
Absolutely. That's another cue. Yes, that's another cue. So um, at this point, when your grandmother passed uh, in 2006, you have been married to him for how long? We got married in 06, so it ha- she, we got married oh, okay. in June, and she passed away that August. I see. So, I mean, the, the, the hitting started within months of you being married. Correct, correct. But oh, he, wow. he hit me the first time before we got married was when he uh, cracked the glass in his hand. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was a little while before we got married. Um, but then he apologized. He said it would never happen again. You know, 2006 was a very trying year for me. <laughs> oh, God, um, I'm sure. It, yes, I'm sure. it would never happen again. I love you. You know, and the um, just to touch on the jealousy, he knew, we talked about it, that I wanted a child. I wanted to be a mother more than almost anything. Um, I have that nurturing side of me that just, wants to be wanted to be someone's mother and he knew that and every time because we we had gotten pregnant right after high school right out of high school um and every time i'd get pregnant he would always say well i'm the only one in your life you know that baby's not going to come first and we would fight so much that we would have a miscarriage almost to the point that my mind told me well he doesn't want a child you know, um, and mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel that to this day, I still feel like he never wanted a child. He never, he, mm-hmm. he was always jealous every time I became pregnant. Mm-hmm. So did he ever beat you to the point where you had a miscarriage? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, he, it would, it would be to the point of being thrown downstairs. Um, I've been dragged down the street um, he's made me get an abortion. He's told me if I don't get one, he's going to kill me. And I knew he meant it. You know, it, it wasn't oh a game gosh. to him. It was not a game to him. That's, um, that's scary. We have about four minutes before our, our um, first commercial. And I wanted to ask you, what are some of the things that you endured? Like, I know he, like you said, he, you know, slapped you. He you know, when you say he beat you, he just would use his fist, his, he kicked you. He would he use his of... fist, he would use a belt, he would use lamps, anything that he could find nearby. Um, anything that he could pick up, he's used. Um, so, th- you know, that's part of it. Um, you know, he he just, it, it was, most of the time it was his fist because that was, you know, the quickest thing. But, mm-hmm. If he didn't feel that was enough, it was you know. There's been a time he's t- taken a lamp. There's been hangers. There's been belts. Um, anything that he can pick up to feel like this is making him stronger. This is this is what he needs to use at this time. Um, as far as things that I've endured, it was the beatings, and I know we'll get into more further. Um, mm-hmm. You know how he sold me and things like that. Um, wow. But it, it you know it. <laughs> it some, I remember cords, um, electrical cords, the power surge protectors, uh, anything that he could pick up and grab, he would take that and hit me with it. And what, you know, I'm I'm sure it hurt, okay? Um, mm-hmm. What helped you, what allowed you to, or what made you stay 
after that type of painful interaction? Well, three things. I'd already isolated from my parents, so I felt like I didn't have anywhere else to go, and I was young. Um, the second thing was I'm loyal to a fault. I didn't want to break my loyalty. And the third thing is I was in love. I loved him past everything that he'd done to me, and I felt like if I loved him enough and if I loved him more, if I did more for him, if I made him happy, it would fix him, it would change him and make him feel like I was worth being loved back and that he he would stop hitting me and that the violence would stop. So those are the things, especially the isolation. You know, I thought about leaving him many times when I was bloody or had a, um, you know, bloody nose or had a black eye or, you know, I couldn't get out of the bed right because I've been aching all over from the night before. I thought about leaving him and going back to Jersey. But then I remembered, you know what, I can't go back to my parents because I hadn't talked to them in so long. And when at my grandmother's funeral, my dad said, I lost my mother and I lost my daughter too because he, my dad had been fighting for me to not go back to him. And I fought my father to go back to him because I was so in love. I was so entangled with him. And I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like the abuse was too bad yet. I didn't feel like it was, I felt like I can help him. I can get him over his problem. Um, I knew that he had been to war and I knew that he didn't have a father growing up. So I felt like maybe I can feel those voids. Maybe I can help him feel better about himself and, and feel better about me. But that was false. Wow. So it's, um, again, you took the blame for him hitting you and then took the blame for when he, you know, um, when he didn't change, it was still, you would still take that on as, okay, I just didn't love him enough. I didn't make his dinner hot enough. I didn't, you know, um, that's a lot of pressure. Um, Well, first of all, I do want to applaud and uh, affirm your courage for uh, coming on the show and, and speaking so candidly. We're going to take our very first break and be right back in two minutes. Sadly, today, most of us know at least one person that suffers from addiction or substance abuse. Addiction does not discriminate. No age, gender, race, or classes of people are immune to the horrors of addiction. This epidemic has ruined families, claimed lives, and left loved ones devastated. Over 100 people die from overdoses daily, and over 20 million Americans suffer from some form of addiction. For this reason, author Lloyd H. Bell Jr. has written the book Clean and Serene. The author is an addictions counselor and recovering addict of over 13 years. He knows and has firsthand experience of being caught in the grips of addiction. Clean and Serene provides experience, strength, and hope for the still-suffering addict. It can also be used as a tool in recovery. Whether it is used in a group setting or individually, this book was written to assist in the recovery process and encourage integrating inspirational, encouraging, and challenging scriptures the author has provided, a resource that is sure to change lives. If you or someone you know is battling with addiction, this book is for you. If you are in recovery, this is a great resource to add to your toolbox. If you are a group leader or addictions counselor, this is an awesome book for group therapy. Clean and serene. Scriptural Meditations for Recovery is available nationwide in both ebook and print. Get your copy 
or a copy for some you know today from Amazon or Barnes & Noble Bookstore. For less than $10, you can potentially change the life of someone currently paying the high cost of living with an addiction. Welcome back to I Rain Blog Talk Radio Show with your host, Minister Annie Bell. Welcome back. Welcome back to I Rain Blog Talk Radio Show on We Inspire Network Radio. And I am your host, Minister Annie Bell. If you are interested in sponsoring a show or advertising on our shows, please contact our marketing department at 201 477 0469. Before our break, Miss Lady Tweet, um, who is our guest, is speaking about her uh, violent uh, uh, marriage um, that whom she was married to for 11 years, and uh, from almost day one there was vi- some type of violence, uh, and and then the uh, the actual hitting and the beating began shortly. Um, within months. So, uh, Miss Lady Tweet, thank you so much for staying with us and um, sharing your story. Uh, you were talking about then about not why you didn't leave, and one of the reasons we well, gave three reasons. One, you just really felt like you were alone because he had isolated you. Uh, you were loyal, and the other thing was that you were so in love with this person. Um, and you know, me, I don't. I don't know I don't know how someone can hit someone that they say they love and see the bruises, see the damage but still turn around and do it again and and say okay, I love you, but uh, then we know that there's there's something mental uh situation going on or unholy spirit. Uh, right. But on uh, from you, how how heartbreaking was it for you to look at yourself in the mirror, maybe see the black eye or the busted nose, and um, still be loyal to a fault and still be in love with that man? Oh, my goodness. It was more than heartbreaking. Um, just to backtrack a little bit, uh, when I was a teenager, when I was about 13 and 14 years old, I became a cutter. Um, I didn't... I knew I had a lot of pain inside of me. I didn't understand how to get the pain out except Mm -hmm. for to feel pain on the outside of my body. Now, this was a man that told me that in order to be with him, I have to stop hurting myself because he couldn't see me do this. This was in the beginning when we first got together. Mm -hmm. Um, I stopped cutting for, for that purpose. But then I would look at myself in the mirror after his abuse and after everything that we've gone through and I began to hate myself because I felt like, well, dang, you know, he, he was hitting me, he's hitting me and I I stopped cutting for him. Mm-hmm. I'm not worth anything. I'm nothing. So I remember when I was 20 years old, I remember looking back and still being a cutter again because he had put me through so much abuse. I didn't care anymore. I didn't care that he he had threatened to leave me if I cut myself again because he was he he wasn't cutting me but he but in a sense he was cutting me so yeah. it was so much mental it was it was it was not only was it physical abuse it was emotional and mental because he called he told me to stop doing something that he began to do to me in a different way and mm-hmm. that's self abuse self mutilation 
um, and my esteem dropped so much. So, yes, to answer your question, it was so heartbreaking. It was more than heartbreaking. It was devastating to look at myself and see what he'd done and hear, hear him say, I love you, and hear him say everything that I thought a husband should say to me, um, which I later in life learned that those aren't the things that that's incorrect. But, yes, it broke my heart. It broke me down to a place of feeling like I wasn't worth anything. Yes, Um, because, again, it breaks down the esteem. I want to make a quick uh, interjection here about there is also a statistic. It's called multi-victimization. When a child is abused, okay, and we know there's five areas of abuse, sexual, physical, mental, emotional, neglect, and um, sexual. And so when there is abuse, there is a high probability for that person to be um, abused or violated again. And so there was a research that was done out of 40, 488 women and um, who were abused as children. They took a poll as to how many of them were victimized again, whether it was rape, uh, domestic violence. Um, anything like that. And the, it was an, an additional, out of the 488 women, over 280 some odd women were re-victimized or, or went through a multi-victimization. Um, wow. And so if we don't break the cycle, if we don't heal from our uh, abuse as a child, and, you know, we we cannot say this enough, then that person will just be on the track to getting abused again. And so the cycle will continue. Um, It is also traumatic for a child to see the mother or the father abused. And um, the, when we talk, and I I know I, I mentioned a lot about the ACE, uh, study, which is the Adverse Childhood Experience, uh, ACE. And uh, basically what they found is that if you were traumatized as a child, because you're in the midst of develop, developing, most of the developmental things are happening between the ages of like two and um, 10. I mean, those are just crucial times. And then, of course, Um, 10 on to 15 and 16. But if there is some uh, violence in the home, the stress that that is put on the child impedes proper development. And so they grow up in that environment, that unhealthy environment. They start to begin to feel guilty. They are confused of what love is. Um, they also get mad at the victim for staying, you know, why are you here? And um, so they become, they get into a high risk position of using alcohol, drugs. Um, they have Absolutely. experience, yes, cognitive problems, stress-related ailments. And, um, and so it's traumatic for the child. So if that child then does not resolve that abusive um, a violent time in their family, they can then grow up 
and become either an abuser, become more violent towards other people, or they become abused. Um, so there's a, there, there's so many things uh, that can spiral out of control and uh, abuse can vein out to so many different areas. And so we, you know, I wanted to make sure that we talk about that a little bit um, because, again, that's so important. And I wanted to connect, uh, Miss Lady Tweet, of the fact that you being abused as a child and it never being resolved, it almost blinded you to the cues and the clues of, you know, being married to a man who was going to turn around and abuse you. Okay, Absolutely. So you and I'm, yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm happy that you brought that out as far as being abused or becoming an abuser. Mm-hmm. Because part of my story is that I became both. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. I had been abused in my relationship for 11 years. And, you know, just my, my husband's listening, <laughs> just being candid, um, <laughs> got with my current husband now. And there have been times when he's, we've had what we call heated ministry. And every relationship you might have a disagreement. We call ours ministry because we minister to each other. It's just heated. <laughs> we might have mm-hmm. a disagreement. So there have been times when we have what we call heated ministry. We disagree. And I've hit him out of fear of him hitting me first because I mm-hmm. promised myself I would never go back into an abusive relationship. And it kind of took us stepping back, praying, counseling, different things to cause me not to become the monster that my ex-husband was beginning to create. Yes. And that's so crucial that you are with someone now who understands that because, um, you know, you have PTSD. Um, uh, Absolutely. Anyone, yes, anyone who has survived it, there's also what's something that's known as complex PTSD. And I believe that's what uh, you probably would fit that because you were in a long-term situation, um, long-term abuse. Uh, in both case, both cases of your child abuse as well as your marriage. And so um, complex PTSD talks about that. Um, and so, you know, my husband, my current husband now, and I've actually, this is my third husband because the first two husbands, I, um, you know, I was still so messed up that I couldn't trust them, um, me, I was always saying, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave before I let anybody hurt me." And um, so my my first two marriages, um, my first one lasted six months. My second one lasted maybe a year. Uh, my current husband uh, and I, we've been married for almost thirteen. So you know, it's a big deal to have a godly mm-hmm. man who is absolutely yes, who is with us to be able to help work these problems out. Um, as a survivor, things can trigger us. I remember one time and my husband, you know, we're it's okay for husband and wife to be frisky with one another, okay? And so he mm-hmm. came into the bathroom when I was taking a shower and peeped in a little bit, was like, hey, you know, and I'm like, ah! I mean, I just went off on him. And um, he was like, his face, I mean, he just, blood drained from his face he was just so shocked and for weeks Mm -hmm. I couldn't figure out what what, why did I behave that way why did I feel so violated and um 
it finally dawned on me that my abuser used to make me go shower while he watched. And, um, yeah. And so I had to, you know, come to him and say, Hey, I just had a flashback and I believe I understand why I don't want you, you know, I don't mind him being in the bathroom. He just can't look into the curtain. And so, um, and so when I told him that he was like, Oh honey. And he, you know, he grabbed me and held me and he was like, I'm so sorry to hear that, you know? Um, so every once in a while now, you know, I'm, I've gotten better. So, um, and sometimes I, I'm like, hey, you know, come into the shower and look in the curtain because I want to face my fears, you know. Um, right. And so it's so good to have that type of relationship with your husband that they can be able to then minister, like you said, um, to you while you're going through that. Now, after, you know, the, you actually we're kind of hit it, hit up, hit on it a little bit about him trafficking you. Um, can you kind of yes. set the stage of what happened there? Well, um, this was one February. Um, and it was, uh, I want to say about 2007, February. I wanted, uh, every year, let's just back up. Even though he was abusive, every year for my birthday, he would always buy me a car. Well, this particular year, he bought me a car, and he took me on a trip to Florida. And his goal was to take me to go see, I have a god sister, her name is Cynthia. And he was taking me to go see her, and he, he, you know, he promised me this vacation for my birthday. It was a surprise. Up until the day we were getting ready to leave, he, he kept the secret. So we get on the road, we drive down to Florida. Um, mysteriously, we never made it to Orlando, but we, because my sister lives in Orlando, mm-hmm. we never made it to her, which I should have known because of the whole isolation thing. He had kept us, exactly. he had kept me away from her anyway. But I'm thinking I'm going to get a chance to go see my sister, and so I'm excited. We stop in Jacksonville. Um, I don't know if you remember the year that they had the Super Bowl there. Mm-hmm. But it was in Jacksonville, and we stopped, and we had a good time on the waterfront, and it was awesome. It was an awesome vacation. Um, and then we went to a studio where we had couples, a couple shoot done. We came back from Florida. We went back home. Um, you know, as soon as I got home, we had an eviction notice on the door. I found out he wasn't paying the rent. Um, he w- he had a spending problem that I didn't know about, and he was also a, a heavy drinker. So we got in. We I got into an argument. We he be- ended up beating me for questioning him about the eviction notice. And I'm like, well, we can afford to go to Florida. Why couldn't we afford? You know, you bought me a new car. You took me on a trip. Why didn't you pay the rent? I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. So, um, so then you know, shortly after, maybe a few days later, I got a phone call about me modeling in California. I mean, the lady that I talked to, she said she worked for the guy that was my photographer in Florida, and I was so beautiful. I need to come out and model. And, I, you know, my husband was there. He never let me take a phone call by myself. So he heard the whole conversation, and he said, you know what? We're getting evicted. This is something that I think that you should do in order to help us out until something else comes through. So I agreed. You know, I never never really felt that pretty, but if someone – took the time to look at my pictures and say I was that pretty, they must have seen something. So 
I get on Greyhound and I catch Greyhound all the way across the country. Um, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was about That's four a days. special anointing right there. <laughs> it was about a four-day ride. I was tired. I was achy from sitting in the seats. And I was met by a car. And the car took me to a hotel. And when I got to the hotel, they took me into um, one of the rooms. And that's when I found out that I wasn't going to be a model. I was actually going to be an escort. My husband set it up when he was in Florida. That photo shoot was part of the photo shoot. And it was a sexy photo shoot because I did it for my husband. That Mm -hmm. was part of my initiation. He had already gotten the money that he was going to get from the guy. They had already exchanged words. They already set it up. All they had to do was stage it for me. So once I got once I got there, I, I felt stuck because the ticket was a one-way ticket, and I was supposed to work to get a ticket back. And I felt like I couldn't call my parents and tell them what was going on because not only did I not want them to hate my husband more, but I didn't want to have to call them, and I was already isolated. I had already not talked to them for almost a year, and it, it had just been painful to even pick up the phone to tell them what I was going through. So I felt stuck, and, you know, the guys were intimidating, and next thing you know, I'm walking the streets, and I'm selling myself and doing things that I never thought I would ever imagine to do in my life. And, you're, you know, it's, it's levels to it. You don't just get out there, and it's not like it is on TV. You're beat sometimes by your pimp. You're beat sometimes by the people that are supposed to pay you. We call them Johns. Um, yes. You, you get beat by them sometimes they don't pay you and then once you don't get your money from them and you go back to the hotel you're going to get beat again and it's living from hotel to motel to motel to motel sometimes it's not a nice hotel sometimes it's a raggedy you know roach motel that you're in wow um i gotta put a pin right in there because we gotta take a quick break but um goodness gracious everybody please stay tuned because this is um it's an unbelievable story. It's just, I just can't even believe it. My mouth is still hanging open. But anyway, please stay put. Uh, two minutes. We'll be right back. Hello. My name is Minister Lloyd Bell, Jr., CEO of We Aspire Network Radio. God bless you, and I am Minister Annie Bell, the COO of We Inspire Network Radio. We had you, our listeners, in mind when we created We Inspire Network Radio, or as we like to call it, Win Radio. We incorporated your thoughts and opinions to ensure that our programming will embody true inspiration. And we will continue to bring relevant and heartfelt shows that cater to the needs of our growing listener base. Please, subscribe to our network so that you can stay connected. Join us here every week where together, through God, we win. Welcome back to I Rain Blog Radio Show with your host, Minister Annie Bell. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you for staying tuned. You have um, tuned into iRain Blog Talk Radio Show, powered by Win Radio Network. We inspire network radio. Uh, I am your host, Minister Annie Bell, and uh, we are one of the many outreaches of Wealth Management Ministries, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization where we endeavor to bridge the gap between the rich and the poor through teaching of financial literacy and Christian counseling. We are um, coming back from, and we have to put a pin in it, uh, Miss Lady Tweet, who's our guest, is telling us this story of how her husband set it up to have her trafficked as if it wasn't enough that he was beating her um, and uh, she was in a domestically violent relationship uh, with this man. He had the audacity and the the gall to then sell his wife. So, uh, Miss Lady Tweet, thank you so much for staying with us. And um, not a problem. Your story, gosh, I just, I, I'm my mouth is still just kind of hanging open because I just can't, I can't fathom um, that happening. And so now you are, like you said, um, an escort or a prostitute. They have you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, selling your body. And so how many men did you have to entertain per day? Quote, unquote. Oh, wow. Um, I was so high most of the time. I don't even know. Um, When I started out, you know, I was a virgin to it, so I wasn't getting high as much as first. And it was maybe six or seven to eight during the day. And then you get high traffic at night, maybe five or six again at night, just depending on what they wanted, um, where they wanted to go. Sometimes you would have to go out to eat with them. um, And they wanted to go to a party or something like that. And then they bring you back. Um, Sometimes they wouldn't bring you back. It just depends on what, it depends on um, what they wanted. When I started getting high, I don't remember the numbers of people that I was with at that time. Why were you getting high? I started getting high because I didn't want to face what I was doing. I had and, mm-hmm. and men became disgusting to me. I didn't sure. really want to touch a man. I didn't want to look at a man. I I didn't trust men. They became disgusting. But here I was way across the country and I knew that I had to do something to get myself out of the situation and my plan was to save up money. At the same time I was sending home money. Um, to my husband, I was sending him money home, and I, I couldn't. Yes, <laughs> I was sending him money home. Um, you know, it became ugly, and I start. I started to get high and drink, and there were times when I would wake up in strange places, have to catch the bus back to the motel, or or you know, catch a ride with somebody. You know, I did a lot of hitchhiking. I did a lot of a lot of things that are dangerous you know, knocking on people's doors. Um, I could have been killed. I could yeah. I, I I believe I shouldn't even be here today, but by the grace of God, I'm God still here hallelujah. and I'm able to talk about it and help someone else get out of their situation because I shouldn't be here. If the devil had his way, he had a trap set. And if he had his way, I would have never made it out. Um, God sent me an angel in order to get out of the situation. And that was my own biological mother. And it was a tragic situation how it happened 
because my aunt had passed away. And my mom found my number, and my number was always changing. But she had my current number, and she called me and she said, Teresa, you need to come home. Your aunt passed away. And at this time, I need you to understand, you know, I had, you know, my, my, my guy, my pimp, his name was Freddie. Uh, he, he wasn't going to let me go because I was his main girl. I was the main one. He called me the prettiest. I was the youngest. I wasn't as washed up as the other ones. I wasn't, you know, the drugs hadn't eaten me up yet like it had them. They, I mean, a lot of them look crazy. Um, but by the grace of God, I still have my teeth. You know, I still have my vision, you know, I, my hair, everything. Because a lot of them, you know, you get so far gone, you think that you look like the person that you were when you came in but you look totally different. You look nothing like who you used to be. And this could be in a matter of a year, you start to change your looks and look old. Yes. Cause so, if the drugs don't you know, tear you down, the, the, you know, 10, 20 men a night will tear you down. And before you begin um, to talk about your, your, your escape, um, I want to, I want to run this home because again, there are so sex, sex trafficking in the United States is, a billion dollar business um, mm-hmm. already. And a lot of people think that sex trafficking is something that happens in foreign countries in Calcutta or, you know, somewhere in Africa, but it is here in your face. It's here. It could be your next door neighbor. It could be the guy down the road trafficking, pimping somebody. And um, the reason I wanted you to talk about the drugs is because part of the indoctrination when a um, person is sold into sex trafficking, it is to get them high and dependent. And so mm-hmm. um, one of the very things that they do is they beat the one, the girl or the, the woman or even the boy because yeah. they're being sex trafficked as well. And they, um, they will beat them and scare them to death, then have men upon men rape that person until – they just feel that, okay, I, I you know, I, I need something to deaden the pain, the physical pain and even the, um, the emotional and mental pain. So um, that's why I wanted you to kind of talk about that drug issue because then now the, the escape is even harder because you are addicted and you are scared mm-hmm. and the pimps, you know, they're, they're watching you like hawks. Um, there was a study done, and one tra- sex trafficked victim um, can earn the the daddy or the pimp. Uh, um, you know, they in the sex trafficking scene, it's daddy, and in the prostitution ring, it's you know pimp. But they can mm-hmm. earn the the them anywhere from thirty five to sixty thousand dollars a year. Just one person so just mm-hmm. that person had you know 10 15 I mean and unlike drugs you know once you sell that quarter uh that 10 the 10 cent to a quarter pound whatever you know the cocaine the mm-hmm. marijuana it's gone whereas with the girl or the boy um they can resell that service over and over and over again so it's, it's um it really turns out to be quite profitable. So when you're looking, there's over 5 million sex trafficking victims around the world. Um, so mm. this is a very 
huge epidemic. It is the number one world crime. So out of all the drug trafficking that's going on, sex trafficking has uh, earned its number one spot. Now, how much you said that you were had some money stashed to the side. Um, how much money were you seeing of all of the Johns that you had to entertain? Because normally you don't get to see the money. It goes directly to the daddy or the pimp, and you get clothes and maybe a meal, one meal or two a day. Yes, um, a lot. He would take the money, and then you know, of course, we would, our, we would go to a place like Taboo or something to get our outfits, but. A lot of times we were stealing it. <laughs> mm, we would okay. steal the money, and when you when you take the money, you know you don't you you you're not accounting. You know when he says how much did he give you? Of course you would lie and you would say this, yeah. and you know you, a lot of times you would get beat because that's that wasn't all his money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were times when we got an allowance, so it was a little. It wasn't. It, it's not, of course, like it's not like TV. <laughs> a lot of people, Mm-mm. you know, that I've talked to, they're like, "Well, do you do you ride in limos?" And no, not at Mm-mm. all. <laughs> not Mm-mm. at all. They need um, to watch. They used to have a show on. I think it was on HBO or Cinemax. It was called um, Pimps. Was it? Uh, I forgot the name of it. But it was. They would go down Chicago, the streets of Chicago, and show the prostitutes who had, like mm-hmm. you said, no teeth in the front. This one lady was like, well, I'm glad because it was easier for her to give blowjobs than her. So her uh, her right. uh, constituents like that much, uh, you know, without her teeth. And so it's not, it's ugly, honey. It's not a pretty Absolutely. business. It is you not get pistol whipped. You get, yes. yes. And that's uh, what I was going to ask you. Tell me about some I've of the violence through. that you endured uh, in that line of business. Wow, um, I've been pistol whipped. I've been raped with a gun. Um, I've been, you know, just. And when you say raped with a gun, you mean vaginal penetration with the gun? With the gun, yes. Um, mm-hmm. Because I didn't bring back the money. Um, or I, one time I was beat because he didn't want to pay me. Um, and then I had to wise up to get my money first. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times they don't want to give you the money first because they don't trust you and you don't trust them. So it's it's you know it's, it's it's a hard game out there. It's 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 not easy. And then you, you know, I started. Uh, part of my problem is even though, and I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later. Um, even though I left California, the mentality never left me. I started right. pimping my own self. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then I had to carry a gun because you don't trust me. I don't trust you. And you know because I. I was known as one of the higher end um, prostitutes or escorts. I knew what I was worth, and I knew it's fifteen hundred if you want to take me out to dinner and have conversation. I knew what it's it's two thousand if that includes sex. I knew exactly, and we call it making a move. Like I knew exactly how to meet these guys online. I knew exactly where to meet them at. How to how to throw out the right bait to know that he's not a police officer, and throw out the right bait to know that. I'm going to get my money. So even though I left, I never, I hadn't left California. I hadn't left the mentality. Right. Right. Just like the, um, the, uh, the Israelites coming out of Egypt, even though they left out of Egypt, the Egypt mentality was still in them. And so that's part of the reason why mm-hmm. that 11 day journey took 40 years. Um, and so, yeah, so you begin to then, you know, 
tra- traffic yourself, like you said. You kind of stayed in. How long were you in the business? Uh, well, to be perfectly honest, uh, from if, if we if we're clear about it, from 2007 to 2015. Um, however, I left California in at the beginning of 2008. So about, I'm sorry, I, I forgot to do the math while you were talking. So about a year? Right, about a year. But I okay. had not left the mentality or the lifestyle alone on my own. Mm-hmm. So I didn't right. actually stop getting Johns until 2015. Which was last year? Last year, yes. Wow. Um, yeah, so, uh, well, I'm so glad. Obviously, you made it out. Um, and you were about to tell us how that happened, and your aunt had passed. And so um, if you don't mind telling us from there what happened. Yes, my aunt passed. My mom had got my number. She called me, um, which was a surprise because I hadn't I'd been away from her for so long. She called me, and she said, you need to come home. Your aunt died. I'd been very close to my aunt Margaret. She was my great aunt. She was awesome. She just was the best thing since life bread. We were very close as a little, when I was a little girl. So she called me, it was time for me to come home. I talked to my pimp and I said, please let me come, let me go to the funeral and I'll come back. It was an act. I promise on everything was an act of God for him mm-hmm. to say yes, because they don't care if your mama died. They don't nope. care if you're dying. You, it, it, they don't care if you have AIDS, get out there and make my money. They don't mm-hmm. care. They don't, they, there's no, there's no, remorse for anybody that has any type of bad situation but he agreed and he said as long as you you know come back and pick up where you left off this is what we got to do and we're packing up to go to another city and I said okay so he bought my bus ticket I went to Philadelphia we buried my aunt and my family had um, an intervention because I hadn't been around in so long they were trying to keep me away from going back to my husband but because I didn't know anything else but him, I caught the bus right back to Richmond, and I didn't oh, look back to Philadelphia or California. First of all, I need to take a, I need to take a moment. I need to first applaud the fact that you got away from your sex trafficker, okay? <laughs> but then you're Thank saying you. you turned around and went back to your husband. Is that right? That's right. Lord, Lord, Lord. Okay. So you're, you went back to your husband, and um, you thought – perhaps he would stop beating on you or he didn't even call you, right, to call you back. You just went back on your own. I went back on my own. Yes. Mm-hmm. I went back on my own because I thought it would get be better. And, you know, I was in love and then, and then there was people in the church. Um, the church really didn't help me, but there were some people that mm-hmm. I had reached out to. Mm-hmm. And what they tell you is, you know, you're married, go to your husband make up with your husband, and even though I had told some of them that he had been putting his hands on me, um, I told some of them that I didn't want to, I didn't feel safe. One told me, you know, keep it quiet, you know, hush, hush, we don't want to make the church look bad. Another one told me you just need to have a good screw with him and, and you know, make sure that he's satisfied and, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be all right, you know. Um, and, you know, and I, w- I, I do want to br- I want to just say this real quick. That And I've said it almost on every show that um, if you are in an abusive relationship, call the police first while you, and then call the pastor second. 
get out of mm-hmm. that situation. And before you go back, um, before you go back, make sure that your husband has had, you and your husband individually has had some therapy. He cannot be changed in 30 days. He, if, he, if he's been beating you for 11 years, 15 years, 20 years, it's going to take longer than 45 days for him to be turned around. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus cannot change a soul. I'm not saying that. He can do whatever he wants. God has the power. But I'm saying most of the time, that person needs more time to heal from whatever past wounds that they have had uh, that made them, to turn them into such monsters to beat you. Um, But it also takes time for the woman to heal properly as well, or the abusee, excuse me, the, the person who is being abused. And so I um, wanted to make sure that I said that. We did a segment called um, Christianity and Domestic Violence because did you know that there are 80% of abuse victims are from Christian homes. Um, domestically mm. violent um, victims are from Christian homes. And so we got to make sure we're seeing, saying it in the pulpit. We're saying it, um, you know, in, in, at Sunday afternoon gatherings, we have to talk about it and, and really devise a plan for the church to say, what is the appropriate action? Don't just tell them to cool down and then go back home. Okay. So mm-hmm. um, you went back and uh, at, he started then um, inviting, did, well, first of all, did he continue to beat you? Yes. And did it get, was it worse or was it about the same? It was about the same. Okay. Um, At that point it had gotten pretty bad anyway, right? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then he started to um, invite other people in the marriage bed. Yes. Um, He, he had already been cheating on me, but I didn't know it. And he when I came home, he had the mentality, well, you've been doing what you've been doing, so now we can openly do it together. And I didn't want, I didn't want to do that. You know, I, I wanted my marriage. I, I didn't necessarily lose the mentality of what I gained. You know, Pandora's box had been open to me when I was away in California, but I still had a little bit of morals, and I didn't want to bring people into our bedroom, but he decided – that he wanted to live a polygamous lifestyle, and I better get on board or I better get on board. I didn't have an option. You know, either I was going to be beat or I wasn't going to be beat, and even if I wasn't going to be beat, he decided he was going to beat me anyway. So it was mm-hmm. a catch-22. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, you know, we started relationships with other women, and they were, you know, and sometimes he would invite random people. And I just thank God to this day that I have not gotten AIDS, I have not gotten Jesus. any crazy STDs that I cannot be cured from because this is not something that you want to play with. It is not, right. especially in this day and age, you know. And it was it became to a point where my esteem was already low. I didn't have any type of esteem, you know. I, I had lower than low self esteem. It was it was just to a point where I knew I wasn't worth anything. I didn't care about, I I started to not care about my marriage anymore. You know, he had already invited the people into our relationship. And then 
I the the I don't know if you want to go to the very end or you know <laughs> if you want me to share that if you had anything else. Well, um, when the well, how many other people were invited to the bed, the marriage bed? Oh wow, um, we've had two girlfriends, and we've had about six, six or seven randoms. Okay. Wow. And so it wasn't actually getting married to anyone else. It was um, more like they, uh, a girlfriend. Correct. Like they would be our girlfriend. Right. Okay. And was, uh, were you allowed to invite a man to the bed, the marriage bed? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay. Um, Always him bringing women in. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and did he, like, begin to uh, beat you in front of the other women? Did he beat the other women? No, he never beat the other women, um, mm-hmm. to my knowledge. He never, you know, it was always, you know, they would come, they would come, they would spend the night, you know, I was as long as I was making him happy. If I did something that he would call stupid, after they left, I would get a beating, but it was never anything in front of them. It was never, they never got hit. They would just come spend the night and go home. Those that we were in a relationship with, he would pay a bill or two for them here and there. Um, We would go out to eat. We would party together. Um, They would spend nights at a time and then they would go home. Okay. Um, Now this began to kind of question, did this make you kind of question your own sexuality? Absolutely. Um, when I broke up with him, when I finally left him, well, I thought I finally left him. We separated for, we, we divorced and we were apart for three years. And during that time frame, I was with a woman. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, was it a, what was your rationale to, to then move from a man to a woman? I'm safer. Um, I felt safer with a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she never put her hands on me. Um, she made me feel safe. She made me feel loved. She told me that I was beautiful. She did everything that I thought that he should have done. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she, she held doors for me. It was never a problem um, in dealing with her. And she made me feel like I was protected. And that was just, that was it, you know. But we couldn't stay together because my mentality. I had gotten pregnant several times through our relationship because I still had California in my system. I was still working um, behind mm-hmm. her back. Mm. And so you weren't cheating for love. Um, you were just out there um, thinking you're going to make some money. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I was working a regular job. Um, but there, were times, there were times when I didn't go to work. I went to my own work. <laughs> uh, there were times mm-hmm. I would call out of, I was working at the bank. There were times I would call out and go prostitute um, or go be with someone, and I would make some money, and she never knew about it. She never And do you, you think know, maybe she, it was to satisfy the fact that you're really not uh, lesbian, but you're, you're heterosexual, and so she might have been taking care of some of your more, you know, softer needs, but really you um, may have had your, – your desire is – you know, for men because you're heterosexual. And you can probably, if you don't mind, 
put a little pin in that one and answer that question when we get back from our next um, commercial break. Everybody, please stay tuned. Okay. have been sticking in there with me. We are um, kind of bringing it home to the, to the 90th minute and um, our last segment of the show. It has been pretty tense. I mean, that uh, her story has been absolutely just out of this world. So if you're just tuning in, this is Irene Blog Talk Radio Show. And uh, thank you for staying with me. I am Minister Annie Bell. I want to issue a trigger warning, and I know we talked about that earlier, but for those who are listening in tonight, if it is urgent to speak with someone immediately, please call the national hotline 1-800-799-7233. The the TTY is 1-800-787-3224. Don't suffer by yourself. Um, Reach out if you can't recover from it quickly. I do urge you to please connect with us on Facebook so that you can, you'll be able to inbox me or my team for prayer. There's also another resource, which is my prayer line, and that's every Thursday night at 930 is our intercessory, uh, intercessory warrior prayer uh, time. And uh, you feel free to join us, and we can pray together for you and for the world. Uh, just call us at 530-881-1212. Access number 225-184-078. If you missed any of that, just look on the screen. You should see some of our um, advertisements and some details. So you're not alone in this battle. Please reach out. We're back with Miss Lady Tweet. And she was just talking about how her marriage had just kind of spiraled to the point where they invited other people into the marriage bed. It made her question her own sexuality, and she actually... Um, was in a relationship with a woman. Um, when, uh, Miss Lady Tweet, was, did you finally say enough is enough? Enough was enough. Uh, well, I, I got a spiritual mother. Um, her name is Dr. Celeste Washington. I always give her credit everywhere I go. Um, I got a spiritual mother who took me under her wing, and she, she loved me to Christ. And 
and and we we fought through the battles. We've gone through ups and downs. Um, even after my relationship ended with the female, and you know I moved back south, and I for the last time got with my husband, my ex husband, thinking you know what it's been a three year break. Let's get back together. Um, it, it it the abuse had not begun right away when we got back together, but the moment I got pregnant, um, and this was actually 2015, um, you know, I, I had been, I'd been getting high off and on, um, and I decided that I wanted to, I wanted to live for God. It was still a battle. Um, the mentality of, you know, being allergic, what I call allergic to broke, um, every time my funds got low, it, it, just the mentality made it seem so easy. You know what? Go pick, go pick up, go pick mm-hmm. up that lifestyle back up again. Um, so I got back with him. We got pregnant again, and he reminded me, "Nope, I'm the only one for you." Even though we weren't married anymore, but we were just we were boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, enough was enough. I have a five, now she's six. I have a, at the time she was five years old. My daughter, um, she watched him dra- beat me dragged me down the steps, blood all on the walls and down the stairs, and I lost my baby. And she saw that. So that was the straw that broke the camel's back when I had to be the one to explain to her, mommy's okay. And I had to clean it up, and I moved out of the house, and I moved in with a set of my spiritual parents. Um, I have two sets. I have one in Virginia and one in New Jersey. I moved in with a set of my spiritual parents, and from that moment on, she's been my rock. She's been the reason why, you know, I can look at her every day and not get high because I can see her. You know, there was a time when I was getting high. I couldn't see clearly. I couldn't think. I couldn't be a mother. I couldn't be. I couldn't even be a wife anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And that was it. She was my reason. I don't want her to grow up be, um, being beat on. I don't want to grow her to grow up being abused. And it kind of something snapped in me especially when I met my current husband, he loved me the way my ex-girlfriend loved me. He loved me beyond that. He, he made me feel like a queen and still does and reminds me that I am fearfully and wonderfully made and that there's more to life than all of those things. I'm not who I used to be, and I'll never be what I was. Whew, thank you, Jesus. Ooh, I'll Jesus. never be who I used to be. And, That's right. You know, I just I thank God because he helped me. Even in the midst of my struggles, God had allowed me to still be able to minister to people. I, the crazy thing is I lived this secret lifestyle when I was prostituting myself, and I was still armor-bearing in the church, and I was still ministering, and I was still doing things in the church. But my I did, full deliverance hadn't come yet until I finally surrendered all. And in 2015, I let go, and I, I finally gave it all to God, and I, I never looked back. To this day, I don't get high anymore. I'm not prostituting myself anymore. I love my husband. There's no women in our bedroom. My daughter's not seeing abuse. It's just, you know, and and I just thank God for that. Well, yes, we have to thank God for that because I'm still in awe that, like you said, that you're still upright and on this side of heaven um, without diseases and stuff like that because your life has just, I mean, you've you've lived a full life. You you look like you're 18. I mean, you don't look, you know, too much past 18 now anyway. So I'm just like, how did she go through all that? And I think when I heard your testimony, 
when uh, you said when you came back from the hospital the last time when he beat you, beat the baby out of you and blood all over the stairs, and you said that you had to go and clean it up. I'm going to tell you, my heart, my heart wept for you because, I mean, still, to, to, even now, it moves me to tears because I don't know what, I don't know if I would have had enough, whatever it took you to go and clean up my own blood, you know? Um, and my heart just, just went out and, uh, for you when I, when I heard that and uh, still does. So, uh, and then, then you think there's so many other women who have to go back home and clean up their own blood, clean up uh, the mess that he made, the broken glass and, you know, whatever he did, you have to come back and clean that up. And it's just, it's not right. It's not right. And um, if you haven't heard anyone say it, it, I am saying it to you today for whoever is out there listening. God, like she said, made you fearfully and wonderfully. He did not create you to be anyone's doormat, punching bag, um, nothing like that. I, I keep saying we as women, we're once removed from the dirt. God created us once removed from the dirt. He didn't pick us. He didn't create us with the with the clay. He made Adam with the clay. He pulled us out of the rib cage, honey. So I believe God yes. is saying you're, you're worth more. You are um, not that we're better than Adam. No, I'm not saying that, but that we are, we were pulled from his side because we're equal. Um, so, you know, someone needed to hear that out there and I just, just needed to say it. So um, real quickly, tell me what you tell our audience, what you're doing now. And then um, a one word, one quick word of encouragement that you would give to a person who is still being victimized or is a survivor of domestic violence. Wow. I'm trying to beat back the tears. Um, I know. But I I would, what I'm doing you now, over here. Um, I'm speaking everywhere I can, everywhere I can, to somebody that is going through it, to those that don't know about it. I'm speaking. I'm opening up my mouth. I'm talking about it because we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the words Woo. of our testimony. You so every time so. I speak, every time Every time I open up my mouth, that's another gash in the enemy's face. That's another yes. time he's beat back. That's another time I, I have a victory. That's another time that I'm pulling someone else out of it. I wrote a book called It Had to Happen, and it, it speaks about everything that I've gone through as far as my um, depression, as far as me divorcing violence and anger and all of that from myself. And it, it simply means, it had to happen simply means that, we didn't go through what we went through just to go through. It That's happened right. to bring us to our purpose. It happened to bring us to our destiny. Ooh. And whatever path you're taking, whatever way you're going, God has a purpose and a plan for you. Don't despise your past. Don't hate your past, but embrace it and thank God that he brought you out of what he brought you out of. And those yes. that are going through it and have gone through it now, I encourage you, this is not the end. You don't have to stay where you are. You can be victorious and you can reign. You can reign victorious. You can come out of it. You don't have to be stuck. There are help. There is help. There are hotlines. You know, there. I, you know, I've talked to people for hours on the phone. If if I can talk to somebody and convince them, listen, turn away. Don't don't turn your back on your family. You know, don't 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 think that it's gonna just disappear and that your kids don't see because they see it. They know. They feel it. 
you know, and, and, and just a word of encouragement. You are not your past. You are not your current situation. God has a purpose and a plan, and he's going to perform it no matter what. He that's begun a great work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, and I believe that with everything that is in me. Amen. How can my listeners get in touch with you, Lady Tweet? Um, MissLadyTweet.com, um, and I'm on Facebook as Miss Lady Tweet. Everything is Miss Lady Tweet. So MissLadyTweet.com and Miss Lady Tweet. My book is there. Um, my itinerary, my itinerary, my bio, everything will be updated. It's all there. And you know, reach out to me on Facebook. I am 24 hours. Uh, if I can help somebody, I will help anybody I can. Amen. Thank you so much for coming and just being candid and. Uh, like I said, trying to save souls from the enemy's camp. Thank you so much, Miss Lady Tweet. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, uh, my wisdom to reign is that you are not a mistake. God made you on purpose and in his purpose. To make a donation or get in touch with me or my team, please go to www.wealthmngt.org or um at www.anniebellministries.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Irene Stop Abuse and Abolish Sex Trafficking. Also go to our YouTube channel at Irene Blog Talk Radio and become a subscriber so you will not miss any of our shows. So repeat after me. I reclaim my life. I excel at living. I illuminate the dark. I grow in Christ and I nurture myself and others. Let's reign together with Christ. See you next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Love you much. Hello, everybody. My name is Minister Annie Bell, and I am the host of iRain's Blog Talk Radio Show, where we endeavor to bring talk therapy to survivors of child abuse, sex trafficking, and other traumas as well as being the vehicle by which we use to bring awareness and resources to the community to aid in the prevention of these abuses. IRAIN, which is a declarative acronym for the individual survivor, that means I, I identify myself as a survivor, no longer a victim. R, reclaim my life. E, excel at living. G, grow in Christ, and N, nurture myself and others. This declarative acronym has developed into a victorious lifestyle brand that empowers and aids in the healing journey of survivors of abuse, sex trafficking, and other traumas. I have also written a book entitled, with the namesake, I Reign, A Survivor's Guide to Thrive, which is now available at Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble. Pick up your copy of my book today and join me every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. here on We Inspire Network Radio, where together, through God, we win. If we endure, we will reign with Christ.